We're going to uh, ruffle some feathers this morning as we get started. Uh, some of you, you might have put some of these discussions to bait already in your family. And so if it kind of brings some stuff to the surface, just know that pretty much well planned and intended for. But I want to start here with a question, which is how many of you have a strong opinion on something that sh- just, okay, every hand should go up. Come on, you guys all got them, right? Um, and the thing is, we all have opinions, we all have preferences in life, and sometimes there are things that we hold strongly to. And so I just said, like, you might go to lunch after this, and you might need to hash some stuff out. You, if you need to get some family counseling after today's service, um, I totally understand. But, like, let's just give you an example of here to start. How many of you believe that pineapple belongs on pizza? Right? Show of hands, where my pineapple on pizza? Okay, all of you with your hands up, you are the chosen. Jesus loves you. All of those who did not, uh, there's a prayer service afterwards. We're going to cast some demons out because pineapple absolutely belongs on pizza. I don't care what anybody says, it does. Uh, this one gets very contentious for the, the few, uh, Apple versus Android. So all you Android people, just quick show of hands. You ruin our lives, Okay. Like, just straight up, like, you're, yeah, but the processing power and the megapixels, and it's like, yeah, but your bubbles are green. Like, you ruin group chats for the rest of us, you know, I don't care. Well, you know, the, our, our cameras have been that nice for 10 years, but it's like, yeah, but you still got green bubbles, don't care what you say. Uh, this is arguably, I think, one of the long-standing traditional uh, debates, over or under, people, like toilet paper. Are we going over or are we going under? Uh, over, uh, yeah, okay. Um, I had uh, somebody uh, after first service said, uh, the best way to think about it is like a beard versus a mullet. You know, beard over is okay, mullets aren't under, right? And I was like, okay, that's a good way of processing it. And this one is kind of new and contentious, but is this a valid fashion statement, people? Socks and sandals, any socks and socks people out there, right? There's a couple, few of you. First service, there's actually a whole family who had sandals and socks on together today, this morning, and they were hyped out of their mind. They were like, yep, we know it. The thing is, is we all have preferences and opinions in life. And a preference, uh, kind of how I want to define that this morning, is it's anything that's not necessarily a morally right or wrong decision. You can feel strongly or not. You can pick one side or another. At the end of the day, it's not necessarily a, a sin or, or, or something against God's will to have a preference. The thing is, is when we begin to take our preferences and interject them into morality or causes disunity or we take them as truth. And so the question I want you to begin wrestling with this morning as we continue our study through 1 Corinthians is this. When it comes to your topic of your preferences, is are your preferences, especially your preferences when it comes to faith or church or, or, or uh, following Jesus, are your preferences just a way or do you have a tendency to view them as the? way. And you might be new to church, you might be exploring faith or Christianity, and sometimes a lot of preferences come out as the way, that you must live and follow Jesus a certain way. You must go to a church that only does certain things, and if a church does anything else, and, and, and kind of doesn't believe exactly 100% the same way that they are off track. Now, the church has always wrestled with this idea of preferences and opinions when it came uh, to how we maybe worship, what church looks like, how do we follow Jesus well. In the New Testament, it was things such as uh, circumcision or uh, table fellowship. Is something we're going to see today, a little bit into next week. This idea of can you eat meat sacrificed to idols, even if you don't believe in that uh, false god. Like, where does that fall into play? Now, now, modern preferences look a little bit different. And you might have a church background or history that was built on a lot of modern church preferences. 
Like, are you allowed to sit in chairs in a church and not a pew? Like, that's just one that maybe you might have with, um, uh, like, could you imagine the first time a drum stage, uh, appear, a drum kit appeared on a stage, like, and nobody died, no lightning bolts came down from heaven, that type of situation. Like, people probably lost, because for the longest time, you could not have drums on stage. There's entire denominations that say the only Bible you can read is the King James-only version of the Bible. And again, let me say this, is preferences are fine. They're not necessarily sinful or wrong. However, our preferences sometimes get in the way of us pushing the mission of Jesus further. My, pre- my point is this, is that preferences, they're unavoidable. You have them, I have them, we all have them. The question isn't, are you going to have preferences? How do you approach them? How do you take your preferences and put them aside? And that's what today's message is about. But let me start here by kind of showing you this little diagram of where I think sometimes we get caught in our preferences. And so we have our essentials of faith. These are our uh, sources of unity between uh, believers of Jesus, universal. These ought to bind us together. The Restoration Movement, the Christian Church, has this great phrase that says, an essentials unity in non-essentials living. Liberty, but in all things love. There are essentials that come to being a follower of Jesus. You need to believe that there's a triune God. You need to believe in the authority of Scripture. You need to believe that Jesus lived, died, rose again, and grace through faith alone is what makes you right with God. There are some essentials to our faith. And then we get into some of what I would call our convictions. And these convictions are things that are maybe very, very important to you. Maybe they help shape or mold your view of the Christian faith, but they aren't necessarily essential to belonging into the family of God. Let me give you uh, one example is creation. Do you believe in six days of literal creation? Do you believe they were allegorical six days? Because in one place in Scripture, it says like a day is like a thousand years to God. So if it took him six days, was it six days? So on and so forth. Or on creation, you could say, do you believe in theistic evolution? Do you believe that God created everything as it is now at the beginning of time, or has things slowly adapted under the purview? Again, those are convictions. For you personally, where you come from or or your background, those might be very, very important to you in terms of faith. But then the thing that oftentimes gets us into trouble are our preferences. In my conversations with people who, who aren't involved in a church, it's when the preferences get treated as essentials. Because we, we sell a message, we say, I thought the gospel of Jesus loves us, died for us all, and he welcomes us into the family of God. Yeah, you're also telling me, well, I don't belong here if I don't have a suit on. And I look down, like, no, you're good here. Yeah, okay. I can't, I can't attend church if there's, if there's drums on a stage. Are you telling me that, that I have to read and have a certain uh, form of scripture in order to truly know and follow Jesus? And the question oftentimes for us is, we all have preferences, but do we inadvertently turn them into essentials? Because you don't have to follow Jesus like I do. I don't have to follow Jesus like you do, but it I do want you to follow Jesus. I do want you to like Jesus. I do want you to be obedient to him. And what Paul's going to show us today is how do we see our preferences as a way, not the way, is he says when we start with our essentials, we start with our why, so to speak, and we work our way out, and that when we can focus on what is truly, holistically necessary to be a church and to be disciples, everything else kind of falls into place or becomes secondary. So if you have a Bible, uh, 
uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is where we're at. We're in week 16 of this teaching series called True North. The Apostle Paul writing to this ancient church in this city called Corinth. Uh, kind of their motto in Corinth was you do you. Whatever you want to see fit, whatever uh, makes your heart jump, you just go after it. And Paul's kind of saying as Christians, we kind of view things differently. As disciples, our actions, our culture, our beliefs kind of come together to shape a little bit different than the rest of the world. But chapters 8 through 10 is kind of we're kind of closing this section in which Paul is addressing some of the things that they were kind of writing in. It was kind of like a, a Ask Pastor Paul type of uh, correspondence. They had questions. Well, well, Paul, what about this? What about this? And we've talked about food sacrifice to idols, idols themselves, pagan gods, a bunch of other different things. And, and the Apostle Paul is kind of wrapping up this section. Kind of saying, when it comes to your freedoms in faith, by grace through faith, you don't just flaunt your freedoms, but you aren't flippant with it either. And he wraps up this section to kind of go back to this idea. Okay, food sacrificed to idols, this freedom that comes with it. Some of you are stuck on one side saying you absolutely should not ever even get close to eating it. Others of you, you're on the exact opposite end saying because of grace, I can do whatever I want. Paul's saying that's actually not even the right answer. There's a whole different question that we need to be asking. This is what he says, uh, picking up in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 22. He says, are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he is? This is our way of saying, do we think we know better than God? I have the right to do anything you say. This is in quotes, something they're asking about. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but they should seek the good of others. So eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything's in it. So you begin to say, yeah, eat whatever you want, no big deal. He said, if an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without conscience or raising questions either. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of the conscious. I am referring to the other person's conscious, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscious? But if I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because of something I thank God for. Back in the ancient Middle East, this idea of table fellowship was super important. Eating was a very, very public thing. Like if you ever go to Germany and you visit the beer gardens, you know, that's where people gather, they hang out, they have community there. If you go to like France, you know, they, they sit and share a baguette for 17 hours in cafes in the middle of the street. If you, uh, in America, we have those food courts uh, that you can go, you have every single option that you choose from. There's a big difference. Because if you were to go to the food court and you'd see me slamming a hot dog on a stick, you'd probably think, okay, is my pastor six years old? Uh, his choice, his calories, his cholesterol. But then you'd move on. But the reality is back then, where you ate and what you ate said a lot about you. Because if you sat down in that place or if you sat down and ate food from that market, oftentimes it was associated. And Paul is saying there is a divisiveness happening in this church because some say you should avoid it altogether. And the others are saying, but we have grace. That my mind and my faith isn't so weak that it's easily shook by their preference. The fact that the meat came from a false God. That's okay because I know who the true God is. And so Paul kind of begins to say, so don't willingly go worship and eat uh, at a pagan temple. And everyone's like, 
duh, we know that. Okay, and he says, and if you don't know, ignorance is bliss and uh, grace is sufficient. So, so, so live in that. And they're like, sweet. And then it's like, but be aware of your choices because if you are, it's your choice not to do it just because. But you need to ask yourself, is it building up? See, they're in the question of asking, well, God, Paul, what can we do? Could I do this if I wanted? And Paul's saying that's not the question. The question is, should you? Sure, it's permissible. Sure, it's lawful. But is it edifying? Is it building up? And for us today, it's not so much meat sacrifice to idols. There's a bunch of different preferences that come into our faith. Style of worship, style of, of discipleship, style of what time church has. A lot of different things come our way and which kind of tell us, okay, this is a preference that you have. And Paul's making this point. He's like, you're going to have preferences. Preferences are permissible, but you need to remember they are not absolute. It's called Paul's point. Preferences are permissible. You have preferences, I have preferences, but they are not absolute. You don't want to go eat the meat at the market because that violates your conscience. Don't violate your conscience. But at the same time, too, the guy who sees that freedom to go sit down and slam a Guinness with the guy over there because that is what is available to him and his conscience isn't violated, you can't hold that against him either because by grace we are saved. Some wanted to keep up appearances. Others wanted to just say, we can go wherever, do whatever. And I can sense Paul getting a little frustrated at this point. Which is it? They're saying, Paul, do we do, we, do, we do it? Do we not? Do we go there? Do we not? Do and Paul just said, just, just, just do what's good for people. That's kind of his answer at the end of the day. Just, just do what is good for others. You see, the wrong question is, what can I do and still be saved? It's a big question I think sometimes we ask. Where's the line? How close can I get to it and not lose my faith? How much can I be like the world and still hold on to my faith? Paul's saying that's the wrong question. At the other side, he says the wrong question is also, well, shouldn't we distance ourselves as much as possible so we don't appear like them? He's saying that's the wrong question also. The question, he says, what is good for yourself and what is good for others? It's the Greek word kalos. It comes from the Hebrew word tov, uh, which comes from uh, the word that God used in creation. When God was creating the world, he created land and sea and animals and mankind. And after every time he created it, said, and he saw that it was good. It's not just a word that means like good the way we use it. Like, how are you doing today? Good. Just gonna, whatever. Sure. I'm alive. Still kicking. Upright. It's a word that means a goodness culture and edifying what is pure and wanting what is best for the others. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying when you are faced with these dilemmas or when you're faced with these preferences, he says, choose what is good. Choose what is tov. This is what he says next. So he says, if you want to know how to pick what is good in this situation, if you want to know how to pick based on the relationship, let me show you. He says, picking up in verse 31, he says, so whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do. Now, he's not saying go wherever, be whatever, because grace is sufficient. He's saying, as you go through life, is what he's putting out here, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks or the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. That goes back to Paul's kind of mission statement. I do whatever I can. I become all things to all men so that I might win some. I choose the best, goodest, gooderest, goody way, not good grammar. I choose the best good 
so that I might win some. And then he says, so follow my example as I follow Christ. I remember reading an article on the difference between Apple and its competitors. So all you Android and the people, I'm not putting salt in the wound. You just got to deal with this for a second. And the question wasn't so much of whose product is better or more superior, more powerful. The question is, why do Apple people seem to flock towards all their Apple products? Now, I don't know if you ever remember when the first iPhone came out. I was graduating high school, and my friend's dad came home, and, and uh, we were getting ready to go off to college, and he was like, guys, check it out. And he was like, and I was like, cool, an iPhone. What's the big deal? I've got an iPod, and I got a phone. He's like, yeah, but yours has buttons, and mine doesn't. I was like, whoa, let me see that. What? And you begin to kind of freak out about it, and you guys like, yeah, got these things called apps, and you just swipe, and things kind of happen. It's like, and we're like, man, this is my, I need one of these. And you might have met one of those uh, Apple people before where they convinced you to, to, to switch over. And so that's what they found, is the reason that Apple has their product seemingly in everybody's hands or, or a large uh, majority of people is because they market different. And when they begin to pull on the strings to try to figure it out is the fact that they realize is they don't actually really market at all. You see, Steve Jobs' vision was to create a computer that could sell itself. That was his why, to say, that is our essential. This is what we focus on. We want to create computers that people love to be on, that people love so much so that they will go out and tell themselves. And so other people want to tell you, about, well, here's the difference. Here's why ours is better. Here's why our camera, our processing, whatever. But Apple people just say, but here's how this has changed my life. This is why this product is so amazing. And if you don't have one, get out of here with those green bubbles. I can't stand it anymore. And the same kind of applies to our faith is that Jesus is kind of saying, I want you to be so consumed, so in love with following me, be a disciple in such a way that you can't help but not tell other people about how good I am. When my family and I, when we moved from Danville over here to the Champaign-Urbana area about eight years ago, we, um, we were hanging out with some people and they said, hey, let's go get some pizza. And I said, great, let's get some pizza. And they said, cool, um, we're going to go to the old orchard bowling alley. And I said, yeah, okay, some of you. <laughs> and I was like, okay, let's go, let's go get some bowling first done. And they're like, no, 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 we're going to go get pizza. I said, but you said we're going to the bowling alley. Yeah, let's go get pizza at the bowling alley. And you walk in, and I expected this to be like the swankiest, nicest bowling alley. And it's like your average bowling alley. There's like spilled beer everywhere. There's a kid's five-year-old birthday party playing kazoos and they're bouncing the ball. Smells like stuff just all over the place. Like shoes spray just hits you as you walk in. And we sit down and I'm like, why are we here? And then the Sicilian slammer comes out. And I had a spiritual moment. (laughs) Just me and Jesus for a second there because that pizza is bananas. No bananas on it, that's pineapple, but you get what I'm saying. And so, so much so that when my family comes into town, okay, uh, a couple, uh, two Christmases ago, my family came into town, they're like, hey, let's go get some pizza. I was like, yeah, cool, all right, uh, type in Old Orchard uh, Bowling Alley, and we'll see you there. They're like, no, 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 we want to get pizza. I was like, no, just trust me. And they walk in, it's the same type of thing. I see them on their face just like, what are we doing here? Like, you kidding me? I, like, we're near Chicago. Shouldn't we be getting deep dish? And then we sit down, and that pizza comes over, and they take that first bite. Euphoria, right? It's just amazing. And I think that's what Paul is kind of getting at. He's saying, stop it with the petty differences. You like this, you like this. You become so in love with me. You be so in love with Jesus that you can't help but talk about him. 
Follow me as I follow Christ. Be such a light and such an example. It doesn't matter where their table is. It doesn't matter what kind of meat it is. It doesn't matter how they set the table. It doesn't matter what songs they sing. It doesn't matter how they dress. Do they pursue Jesus? Because if they do, why are you so upset? Because when we start with our preferences of the way I like Jesus or the way I like church, it kind of reminds me of that scene from Ricky Bobby, right? Well, I like my Jesus wearing a tuxedo t-shirt. Because it says, like, hey, I'm formal, but I like to pray to baby Jesus. When we start with our preferences in following Christ's discipleship church, it begins to sound a lot like rules. That, yeah, Jesus loves you. He has a life. He has a plan for you. But you got to look like me first. you got to like what I like first. got to act like me first. got to sing the songs that I like first. But that's to take our preferences and assert them as essentials. We all have preferences, but then when you look at the life of Jesus, you go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you see that Jesus bucked preferences all the time. Did he not? Jesus, you can't hang out with those people. Watch me. Jesus, rabbis don't go and and hang out with, with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. Watch me. Jesus, if you want to build a following, go to the Pharisees, go to the super religious, smart people. Gather them up to follow. He's like, no, I'm going to go get some ragtag fishermen out of nowhere, pull them literally off their boats and say, yo, you want in? Well, we don't know how to do this. And he's going to say, I don't care. Jesus never offered a test to say, do you want to be my disciple? And they say, yeah. He said, okay, cool. Do you like drums? Just want to check. Jesus never said to, to his church, hey, hey, do you want to come and worship me? Yeah, absolutely. We're in. Okay, cool. Um, how many polos you got? He simply says, come to me. If you're tired and you need rest, I will give you rest. If you're broken and you need healing, I will bring you healing. Jesus over and over and over says there's not a whole lot of preferences outside of realizing you're a sinner in need of saving, and I am the one to do that. Jesus' essential heart was for the world, and doesn't it look a little silly then when the church in Corinth is saying, yeah, but where'd that bacon come from? Doesn't it get a little silly when, when we might get miffed, you know, when they don't sing our favorite song? I think Paul is at this point where he's just like, I've had it with the preferences because they're just those. You can have them. They're okay. They're just preferences. But when preferences rule, rules are on display. But when Jesus rules, the mission is underway. Jesus says, there's going to be a bunch of different people who come to me with a bunch of different prefaces of the way that they want to find and explore Jesus. And he said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, but it ends there. There's not a whole lot of clarity. There's not a bunch of lists. There's no asterisks. He's just saying, do you want a life outside of yourself? Do you want to find something meaningful and powerful? Then I'm your guy. And so Paul's like saying, drop the preferences because when those lead in your encounter with somebody, all you're doing is creating rules and hurdles for them to get over first. But Jesus said, come to me, and I will transform your life. Imagine Paul's agitation. How do I keep the the stiffs from getting more legalistic on one side? How do I get those whose whose flesh is right there on the edge to just kind of lean into the life Jesus has for them? It's kind of tearing and, and factioning the church. And I think Paul kind of changes the question to simply, what type of church do you want to be, Corinthians? What type of disciples do you want to be? And so I think the question is the same to us today. Is what type of church do you want First Christian Church to be? Because you get a say into it. 
What type of church do I want First Christian Church to be? What type of disciple do I want to be? What type of disciple do you want to be? And my answer is pretty simple. I want to be a church, I want to be a disciple where we focus on Jesus and everything else is secondary. Where we are willing to lose our preferences for the sake of people. Not lose people for the sake of our preferences. And it goes both ways. Let me give you an example though. Um... The style of music that we do on stage, just going to put it out there, not my jam. Some of you are like, wait a second, what? Yeah, just straight up, like my preferred style of music is not what we do on stage on Sunday morning. And some of you, you're asking, well, what kind of style is it? Get your head out of the gutter. That's not what this is about, okay? The thing is, is to me, it doesn't matter because I have gotten to the point where I can worship Jesus no matter the style of music. No matter the words, as long as they are, are uplifting and, and, and edifying to the name of Jesus, I can worship no matter if there's a banjo on stage or not, no matter if there's an organ or not, no matter if there's instruments or not, because at the end of the day, it's not about my preference. It's about people who want to find and follow Jesus and what's going to help usher them into the kingdom and into the likeness. And so if there's a style of music that can rally the most amount of people to lift them up so that they can praise and worship unattached from themselves and from their sins so they can see Jesus, I'm all for it. It does not matter to me, the style of worship, because if I could have it my way, it would look different. It really would. Because it's not my, my style, not my cup of tea but I don't care because what I care about more than Eric getting his way is that people who haven't found Jesus yet have the opportunity to worship. And the beautiful thing about our team is they do an amazing job. They have my full support. I am behind them 1,000% because they do it with excellence. They do it with hearts abandoned. They do it because they sing praises. And for those of you wondering, Eric, what type of style do you like? Stop, I'm not going to tell you. Because it doesn't matter. Because my preferences come secondary to the mission of helping people worship and find Jesus. Jesus said, drop the nets. Come, follow me, deny yourself. Are there baseline unity elements in order to find and follow Jesus correctly? Absolutely. But do you need to read the same translation I do? No. Jesus ushered in his heart, his essential heart for his mission, his great commission, is that people who are lost become found. People who are, who are broken be, be made whole. People who are weak are made strong. Those who are young in their faith become mature. And the more we can learn to be able to set aside what we would want for the sake of others, we follow Christ on that journey. Because Jesus' heart is ultimately for people to know and follow him. And Paul's writing to the Corinthians saying, don't lose sight of that. Don't lose sight of why you are here. Don't even lose sight of why you're arguing in the first place. You're arguing over the first place over church. But remember, the church is supposed to be what? A hospital for sick people. Not for those who don't need any healing. And so, so I get to this point, is Jesus, his, his, his beauty of his gospel says it doesn't matter your preferences. It doesn't matter your past. Because in the name of Jesus, you are not defined by your worst mistake. 
In the name of Jesus, you are not defined by your best put together, how strong you hold on to opinions. In Christ, you are known by your best decision. And the best decision that any person could ever make in this life is to say, I choose to follow him. That is the essential. That your past is your history, your preference is merely an opinion, but Jesus is your destiny if you choose to follow after him. So what type of church are we going to be? What type of disciple do we want you to become? It's a simple formula. We want to be a church, we want to be disciples who value mission over preference. Are you going to hear me? Some of you probably love this sermon. You're like, yeah, get up, tell them, yeah, yeah, yeah. And others of you are like, oh my gosh, is he coming after me? And so on and so forth. I'm not thinking of anybody. Like, this is where the text led. We preach through the Bible. This is what the, the Bible says. And so for a lot of us sometimes is we need to keep this in mind. Have a preference. It's okay. Have an opinion. That's all right. But ask yourself, is it a way or is it the way? But here at this church, we're going to people, be people who say that the mission of Jesus, calling people to a life of discipleship is what we're about. And that strategy might change over time. That preference might look different from time to time. 20 years from now, the style of worship may or may not be what I want, but I don't care. Because it's not my mission. It's Jesus's. So let me close with this, with this thought. You know, Jesus, um, when he called his disciples... And he used uh, a, lot of, a lot of nautical fishing terms. You know, they, they were uh, agrarian people, but they lived near lots of water. And when Jesus called his disciples, uh, his young teenage disciples, he said one thing. He said, leave the nets, leave the boats behind and come and follow me. But he does something interesting. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. What is it Jesus says? He says this. He says, come and follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. Now, you might have heard it said, uh, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And here's what I love about Jesus is he takes a group of guys saying, here's what I know you to do well. I'm just going to teach you how to live life differently in your strengths, but do it for my glory. Do all things, whatever you, whether you eat, drink, whatever you do for my glory. Jesus says, you are fishermen. I'm going to teach you to fish, but instead of fish for fish, I'm going to teach you to fish for men. I'm going to teach you to fish for souls. Now, how many of you know how to fish? Even if you don't go fish, do you know like the concept of fishing? Right, okay, yeah, all the hands, right, good. Okay, pretty simple. You find a spot that, that, that you think there might be fish there, or if you're like a lazy fisherman, you just say, I don't know, they just weren't here today. And you, you get a pole or you get a net, but what do you gotta do in order to catch fish? What do you gotta have at the end of that hook? A bait, yeah, not a trick question, simple. It's church, so you could have said Jesus, that would have been right too, but okay. You put the bait on it, and depending what you're trying to catch, that bait maybe changes. Now, if you're a little kid, you put a hot dog on, and it always works. And you, maybe you're catching trout, so you put trout bait on. Maybe you're trying to fly fish, so it's a fly. Maybe there's a little buzz bait. Maybe it's some bread. So I don't know, whatever it is. And the whole goal is to drop the bait in the water so that the fish goes, mm, that looks good, and then you, and you pull it up, and you pull it up, and you're like, yeah, look at this. Five-pounder, sweet. And then you unhook and put it, and then you put the bait back on and bait back on. And what's happening in the church of Corinth is you have a bunch of fish in the boat arguing over the bait that needs to be used. But they didn't stop to consider what do the fish in the water want? What's the bait that those who haven't been caught? What's the bait that those who are lost who need to be found? 
What's the bait that is going to grab as many fish as possible and bring them into the boat of Jesus and give them not just eternal life, but life that begins now? And the fish in the church in Corinth, they're on the boat arguing whether or not they like the bait. And Paul is saying, you're the bait. Because as soon as you become a disciple of Jesus, you become the bait that Jesus wants to use to bring people to him. Whatever you do, do for the glory of God. Follow me as I follow Christ. My question to you is if somebody were to follow you, what would they see that you love most? What would they say is your mission? What's the essentials to your life? What type of bait are you? Because I'm convinced that the best, truest bait that will win people to Jesus is not flashy lights, is not how, how uh, loud or soft music is. It's not telling people, hey, if you follow Jesus, he's gonna make you rich beyond your wildest dream. The bait isn't gonna say, if you, if you trust Jesus, you're never gonna have pain or cancer. Life's never gonna have any problems. I truly believe that the greatest bait that we can offer to the world is to say, I have chosen to follow Jesus. He has transformed my life. Now follow me as I follow Christ. And Paul, I think, is writing to the church in Corinth as if he was writing to us today, your preferences are fine, have your preferences, but what type of bait are you? What type of follower of Jesus, what type of disciple are you? Are you a bait that says, well, if you look like me, then you can come. Are you a type of bait that, that, that says, well, eh, it's got to kind of look more like that in order for me to be in? Or are you the type of bait that says, I love Jesus, he loves you, you can love each other too? I don't know what that means, but there's this chance for us to say, Jesus changed my life. So I might eat at that table. I might go hang out with those people. I might wear a suit. I might not wear a suit. I like that music, don't like that music end of the day, it doesn't matter. What matters is, are we following after Jesus? Are we in love with his word? Are we obedient to his spirit? Because there's an entire world of fish who have yet to be caught. And you are their bait. You are their bait. Are you following Jesus so well that they're enticed by your life? As we continue to worship this morning, we're gonna move into a time of communion. So if you have your communion elements, I invite you to get those out with us this morning. If you didn't have a chance to grab those, uh, whenever you come into our auditorium, there's four doors, you can grab it there. And communion offers us the opportunity to remember and to reflect. And so, so whether you're a member, a regular attender, somebody just visiting, but you would claim that you are a disciple, a follower of Jesus, we invite you um, to, to partake in communion with us. And as, as followers of Christ, I, I think it's hopefully within our hearts, I believe it's in your heart to keep the main thing the main thing, to keep the focus on Jesus in such a way that we are not distractions, that our preferences, although we might have them, we can set those aside because we want people to know and follow him more so than they want us to follow. And communion represents that chance for us to say the reason we can be called bait in the first place. The, we, the reason we were brought into the boat, into the name of Jesus in the first place 
is because of Jesus' work on the cross, his life, his death, and then his resurrection. So communion has that little cracker that represents the body of Christ broken for you. The juice represents the blood of Christ shed for you. And one of the things I would encourage you as you pray and reflect and take communion this morning is to think, man, what kind of bait am I? Am I a good bait? Am I enticing bait? What type of bait might you be to the rest of the world swimming around trying to find hope and love and meaning and purpose? If you're with us this morning and you're just exploring faith, you're exploring Christianity, you're exploring church, exploring God, uh, just want to put it at your feet to think about. What about you? You might not call yourself a, a follower of Jesus, but if somebody followed you, followed your example of life, what would they find that you value most? Let me pray, and we'll let you continue to worship Jesus this morning. Father, we worship you. You are good, you are great, you are powerful. Your spirit lives because your son died, rose again, and imparted it into us. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way it directs our path. I thank you for the many, many things you call us to. And God, there are certainly times in my life, and I'm sure everybody listening to this, where it's like, yeah, I need to surrender my preference in order to, to worship you. There's also times where our preferences are okay and they're good and they're not necessarily wrong, but we wanna be loving with them above all else. But God, may, may first Christian be the church. May we be filled with disciples. And say, my, my, my essential is you. My essential is worshiping you. My essential is serving you. My essential is giving to you. My essential is following you. So as we change, as life changes, the church changes over years or decades or whatever it may be, Lord, that we still have that foundation, that cornerstone in you and you alone. But God, we wanna be a church that celebrates ahead of time that we know that if we live as, as fishers of men, as fishers of women, as fishers of students, Lord, that we can pre-celebrate, that if we are following you, that we can celebrate now the lives that will be transformed. We can celebrate the baptisms that will occur. We can celebrate the healing that will be happened because we know that you live and we wanna live obedient to you, obedient to your spirit. And we do this because you first loved us. I pray a sense of your purpose. I pray a sense of your mission. I pray a sense of your call into each and every one of us and how we might be light to the world, a city on a hill, but always and only for your glory. Assume that we pray.